Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome along to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Nick Bradley. His new novel is Four Seasons in Japan. We talk about why he goes easy on himself. Also, how this novel came from an idea that different generations completely forget who they are and where they've been and what other people are going through. And you can hear why living in Japan completely changed who he is as a writer. When I was learning Japanese, I I felt like a child again. I felt so I went there um, after being, you know, a university student. I'd done a master's degree. I was very much like in academic mode, and I, I look back at my writing then, and it was it was convoluted. It was it was trying to be too clever, and I think it was from being, you know, a, a learner of, of Japanese and feeling restrained again and constricted by my vocabulary and not being able to express uh, express myself at that, in those early stages of learning. That made me understand that you can you can deal with very difficult and big concepts, but with very, very simple language. There is more with Nick Bradley in this week's Writer's Routine. Let's get to it. Yes, welcome along to the show. My name's Dan Simpson and this is Writer's Routine, where we take a look inside an author's working day to hear the stories behind their stories, to see how they plan their day and their life around getting words on the page. And this week, for the last time, we are supported by Plotter. I'm so grateful that they've helped power the show for a little while, just like they can power your writing. Now, Plotter is a writing tool that does what it says on the tin. It plots. It helps you plan your books the way that you think, letting you outline faster, organise smarter, and turbocharging your productivity. It does the back end. It's brilliant if you're a visual writer. You can colour code everything, quickly skim between your timeline, the outline, your notes, the details on characters and places. You can tag it all to make it so swift for you to move through them. You can track everything at a minute scene by scene line by line level plotter helps you spend more time writing and less time worrying about everything else it helps you strip it back to what is important and that's you getting your words on the page now for the last time you have a chance to make the most of the deal that we've done because they're sponsoring the show 
to see how helpful it can be, get to go.plotter.com. Take a look around. While you're there, you can get 10% off the software with this show. It's in The link is in the episode notes. Wherever you're listening, go.plotter.com slash routine. Make the most of it while you still can. Now, this week, we're looking through the writer's routine of Nick Bradley. Nick is an expert on Japan, really. He lived there for years, worked as a video game translator for Nintendo. His novel, The Cat and the City, about Japan, was a BBC Radio 2 book club pick. A a huge achievement, such a golden dream for so many authors. Nick made it. He teaches creative writing at the University of Cambridge, and his new novel is Four Seasons in Japan. It's all about flow, a translator in Tokyo. They do say, write what you know. Flo finds a book on the subway and tries to track down the author to translate it. We talk about Nick's 5,000 word limit across the week, how that helps him go easy on himself and how it helps him tweak and hopefully perfect as he goes. Also, you can hear how he thinks with his characters in Japanese, why seeing things from a different perspective can be really useful to everyone, particularly when you're writing. And we have a little chat about Kerbu Enthusiasm. Now, through different episodes of the show, I have emphasised my love of the show Kerbu Enthusiasm, and I'm so grateful that, that Nick brought it up, because if you've never seen it before, it's about Larry David. He wrote Seinfeld. It's a mockumentary-style thing. He's playing a version of himself being a, a, a general curmudgeon, but it's perfect story writing, really, in having an A, a B, a C plot all do their own thing and then come to a resolution at the end of the episode and then across the series. And Nick says that really helped him when he was learning how to plot novels. So there's a little bit about that. I can't enthuse about it enough. But let's get into it with Nick Bradley, the author of Four Seasons in Japan. And we get to it speaking about what he sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. So I, I tend to write first drafts um, in public, uh, in coffee shops. Um, so yeah, um, usually I've got my laptop there, um, but I probably start out uh, with my notebook and a pen. Um, and usually I've got I've got uh, well I always have headphones on. Always got a cup of coffee, and um, before I start writing, I usually just start journaling um, my thoughts and feelings about the project I'm working on. Um, and I just sort of keep a, a daily journal of, of, of how the project's going, but also I write down themes or ideas or things that I, I want to stand out when, when I've, you know, when I'm working towards the, the book. Um, and then once I've gotten sick of the pen and paper for a bit, I'll get the laptop out and usually um i work on one chapter in a week and so i'll have that document ready to go uh the night before i'll put my phone on airplane mode i'll turn the wi-fi off on my laptop so that when i get to the cafe i just open the um the i open my laptop and it's all just there ready to go um the hardest days are probably mondays um when i have nothing um, in the chapter. So I'm completely starting the chapter from scratch. Um, but each day gets easier because I usually, um, start each day reading over what I've written, um, previously. So, um, it could be that I write one that I usually, I write about a thousand words a day, but it could be that I write 2000 on one day 
and then 3,000 on another. And then I, what I do is I spend the rest of the week um, just polishing that. So I don't tend to think in terms of word counts. Um, I, I have a word limit, which is that I'm not going to go over 5,000 words in one week. Um, but instead, I think in terms of scenes. Um, so for me, uh, when I'm walking to the, the cafe to start writing, I'm, I'm already visualizing the scene that I want to write today. So that when I sit down, um, it's there, it's ready to go. Giving yourself a week's deadline almost and, and the 5,000 word limit, how pressured does that make it on occasions where maybe it's Friday morning and it's been a bit of a struggled week and you've got, you know, three and a half thousand words done and you don't know how the chapter's going to finish? How much does that lead to it perhaps? the first draft anyway, becoming quite a rushed job at the end. And you're like, well, I kind of guy got to get it done. Well, actually this is, this is why I do uh, my, it's a 5,000 word limit for me because I am quite a fast writer. So I could easily write two, 2,000 words in a day, 3,000 words, but the quality wouldn't be very good. And so that's why for me, it's more about putting time into the manuscript. Um, so yeah, I mean, I find it very easy to get 5,000 words done in a week. So it's not often that I don't achieve it. Um, the only reason I won't achieve it is if I'm if I'm busy doing other things, you know, if I'm on holiday or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I don't often find there's an issue. Um, I usually, if I spend time with the chapter, it will always get done. Um, and I think... You know, even though sometimes when you're not sure where things are going, it can be a little bit scary. Um, really, that's the time when you need to be sitting down with it, with no distractions, just you and the chapter and making sure that you do it justice and that you get it to a level. My, my bog standard level is that um, I want by Sunday to be able to send it to my worst enemies and for them to not be able to um, have anything bad to say about it. What do you mean by the quality wouldn't been there. Like what, what makes it for you high quality? Is, is it simple, the, the, the perfect word? Is it the way that the, the characters are changing? What, what makes the quality there for you, Nick? Um, well, I think that's about sort of dwelling or, or making sure that the pacing is right. Um, I think if you just write in terms of word count, if you just think, Oh, you know, I need to achieve 2000 words. Um, you could end up with just a very kind of skeletal bare bones. Um, but I think that what you gain by slowing down and dwelling on certain sections is that um, you really are like bringing out the, the qualities of, of what you've put down. Um, so you're making sure that it's not just a sort of, you know, it's not just a solid skeleton, but it's a, it's something that has, you know, real meat and real character to it. Um, and that can be anything. So that could be that, when I'm going over stuff I've written on Monday or Tuesday, I can look at the dialogue and I can say, Oh, you know, I, I wrote that that way back then, but like thinking about it, this character, a, a better, like in terms of getting into their voice. Um, and so I'll start to edit and I'll start to make things more cohesive or perhaps like on Monday, I rushed over a certain scene and I realized that I'm seeing it better now. And that, um, you know, to get the reader to really visualize what I'm trying, what I'm trying to set. Um, it just needs, I just need to slow down slightly. I need to 
yeah improve my my descriptions or or my um my language um yeah i think you know first drafts are always awful um and the process really is about living with it and improving it um because it you know writing it down is one thing but like making it of a good standard is a, is another yeah. uh, your first drafts must hopefully be better than many others if you are spending a lot more considered time thinking about how best to make this work over the week. Well, I don't know about that because I think uh, what what I what I make up for in hard work I lack in talent. So <laughs> so I'm sure like all my talented contemporaries uh you know they can just phone it in and, and write beautiful prose and everything. But for me it's all about hard work. It's about um so I, I I mean my first drafts are I don't know. I mean, sometimes sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. Um, but it's important to sort of spend time with it and make it as best as it can be. Um, because I think if you if it is rough and you write the whole project and it's very rough, then you you, you have so much work to do on it when you finish. Whereas what I hope is is that I'm making each building block, each chapter, as tight and as solid as it can be. So that I have a very solid structure when I finish, um, which of course still needs work, but it's more like um, I've done I've done due diligence to the to, to you know the building blocks essentially, yeah. And you take yourself to a cafe. What is it about being in that quite social environment, even when you're locking yourself away with headphones, that that that, that helps you write? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I first got into it really when I was living in Japan. Um, and I think, you know, my apartment was so small that I I just really wanted to get out all the time. So I would go out and I would sit in busy cafes and everything. And I quite like it because writing is an extremely lonely activity. But if you're writing in public with people around you, you don't feel as lonely. Um, and also, surprisingly, you'll look across at the different people who you see every day. And those people will give you ideas. They will you know, little things that they do or things that you observe each day amongst people will inform and inspire your writing. And if I were to just sit in a room and not interact with anyone and not, not see anyone, I, I think, I don't think I would feel, I wouldn't feel as fertile in my mind. Um, because I feel like that's, that's why I think when I sit down to write, I'm not worried about what I'm going to write because I've seen so many interesting things that day that I already have plenty of material just from walking from my house to the coffee shop. On a more technical aspect of what you're doing, uh, many writers I speak to will get themselves in a, in their own study or something with post-it notes and uh, kind of plot points on a whiteboard, perhaps you won't have that. How are you keeping track of the vague idea of what's happening? I'm mostly in my head. um, But also the draft, like the draft is the best bare bones. It's the best structure, you know, because it is the actual thing. So um, for me, I'm, I know I'm going to be constantly reworking it. So it is just this malleable thing that I have in front of me that I can constantly work on. I can go through and I can edit. Um, so for me, the, 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 the madness of the post-it notes and everything, I, I, I mean, I can see the attraction to that because it looks very fun. But for me... I think it's already down there. It's 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 in the manuscript itself, and and that's what needs the attention. So I feel like if I were 
looking at a wall with a load of post-it notes, I would be distracted from the reality of the text, which is is already my my plan. And and what we get very kind of niche on this. What software are you using, Nick? And most importantly, what font do you like to write with? <laughs> um, I'm very boring. I use Microsoft Word and I use Times New Roman. And I think my philosophy is it that all of this kind of distraction-free software is a massive distraction. <laughs> because people spend so much time just learning how to use it. And really, that's time that you should just put into your writing, into your manuscript. Um, so for me, uh, yeah, Microsoft Word. Um, I also very much enjoy that um, that you can use. Um, I've forgotten the what is the online thing called again? Um, the the Google Drive is that what you're talking about? It's yeah, but Microsoft's version of it. I've forgotten what it's called. Um, OneDrive, uh, it might be called OneDrive. Yes, that's it. OneDrive. Uh, I I love OneDrive because. I can. I, I know that it's all backed up. Um, I know I'm not going to lose any of it. Um, so I, I like that. Um, and yeah, yeah. You mentioned about themes earlier and, and things that you're writing in, in the notebook. And uh, on the email that I was initially sent about having you on the show, uh, it kind of the themes were emphasised quite strongly in it, with themes of belonging, loneliness the comfort of books, misunderstanding. Like there's a, there's a lot that you're playing around with. Um, I guess how, what's the process of like making these themes clear in what you're writing? It's all very well you thinking through to yourself. Well, I want to make this kind of about belonging and loneliness, but if to an author, a reader, that's not that clear, that might not have done what you want. How do you make that apparent? Well, I suppose that's that's what the exercise is with my with my notebook before I start writing. So honestly, like my my notebook just looks mad. Um, so there'll be you know I'll jot down my my thoughts on the day um, before I start writing, but I'll also just be writing those themes, just the words. So I mean, like if you looked at my notebook for when I was writing this new novel, you'll just see the word failure over and over again. <laughs> Because that's the theme that I really wanted to explore. So as a reminder to myself, I was constantly just writing the word failure um, and thinking about how the characters' stories and their arcs tie back with that concept of failure. But also not just failure, but um, how how we live through failure to find happiness the other side. And we'll move on to the routine in just a second, but you having these uh, kind of these five days with a blank slate and you mentioned that Monday morning was your toughest bit. Uh, over the weekend, how much are you thinking through what's coming up or do you need that space because it's been quite a quite a draining week for you? Yeah, I, I usually try to take weekends off and relax, um, but I'm, I'm not very good at that. But I, I do try to. Um, and yeah, the aim is to, to send the chapter to to someone who holds me accountable um on the sunday evening um and yeah i i so i i do st- i start a new document each monday so it's completely blank and i don't look at i don't look at the chapter that i have just written and that i've sent off um and um but yeah i suppose that is really important for me to be running the processes in the background in in the back of my head um, so when I'm out walking or running or whatever, then I'll be, I'll be writing in my head at that point. 
I'll be thinking about the scenes um, that I want to write. So, and I'll do that over the weekend as well. I, I kind of can't help but do that when I'm in the thick of writing um, a first draft. You know, you constantly have to be running these processes in your mind and, and thinking, you know, um, what, what's the scene I want to write? Like, which which characters are involved? What's happening? Where are they? Um, so I'm kind of imagining those things over and over again. Um, even when I'm doing the dishes or whatever. Again, we come back to this first draft and it's it's amazing that you are, you're almost treating them as, as a lot of different short stories, I guess. If, if, you, if you've sent them away, you never reopen old chapters that you've done. When it comes to the end and you're putting them together, how much of it is trying to like make them make sense of this this patchwork of ideas? Do you find that the thread runs through the whole thing? I, I find that it, it, surprisingly it does, yeah. It does run through, um, and it's it does feel tight. Um, there might be cosmetic things, you know, you might have changed someone's name by mistake or whatever, but that's something you can fix so quickly once you have the 80,000 words sitting in front of you. It's very easy. Um, the, the, certain things are very easy once you've got that first draft done. Like It's very easy to cut 20,000 words when you've got 80,000 words. But when you've only got 20,000 words, it becomes a nightmare to cut 20,000 words. Um, so I think actually having that first draft, like I, I often think about it, you know, there's that kind of cheesy quote about, um, the sculptor seeing the, the sculpture in, in the block of concrete or marble before they do it. I feel like it's the same for a writer, but it's more like a hedge and you have to grow out your hedge. Um, and then you see that beautiful tapiri or topiary in in the hedge so the first draft is about growing out the hedge to a huge like just an overgrown hedge but then in the editing process in the uh, polishing process that's when you're you're thinking okay what animal can i make from this and then it becomes much easier to cut things away write new scenes and it's yeah yeah so i teach part-time so um so when i'm writing i'm very much I'd say, yeah, I, I wake up at about 7.30-ish um, and I'll try to get to the cafe as fast as I can. So no talking to anyone, no um, communicating with anyone or anything. Um, very much just sort of get some food in me, get out the door, you know, feed the cats and then get out the door uh, and get start writing preferably at, 8.30-ish, 8, um, if I can. Um, and then it really is just a question of, of I mean, I often, like, I'll give myself until lunchtime. Uh, so I've got all morning to write. Uh, sometimes I'll get it done in about an hour, um, sometimes an hour and a half or whatever. Uh, but really the morning for me is blocked off to write when I'm, when I'm doing a first draft, yeah. And, and that'll be Monday to Friday. Um, yeah. Uh, so after that, how do you, uh, ha- ha- how much are you thinking about the, the book and the novel when, when you're doing other things? Oh, pretty much all the time. Um, you know, uh, yeah. So, so, uh, I mean, I like to exercise, I like to go running, I like to walk. Um, and that's, that's really a time for me to, to, you know, to, to think about ideas. I mean, yesterday I was out for a walk and I was just listening to some music and, that was when I had like a huge idea for this thing I'm currently working on. Um, so I, I, I don't know that the ideas happen. I mean, sometimes the ideas happen at the desk, but for me, 
they often just happen when I'm not really forcing them when it's just like, I, I mean, I talk about it kind of like the processes or, or I, I feel like I run simulations in my mind. Um, but I'm doing that all the time when I'm alone and listening to music or, or whatever. Um, I might even do it when I'm having a conversation with someone, unfortunately, they might say something and it might just spark an idea and then my brain will go off, which is not, not very nice for people who are trying to have a good conversation. With them. <laughs> in, in that morning session, uh, just because of the, uh, of the way that you work with this limit and you're always tweaking and changing and improving the first draft of your chapters, uh, how do you find that your energy kind of flows in the morning? Is it one for your ears burst at the start and then you're tidying up? How does that change? Um, with first draft, I think I go very easy on myself, um, because it is like a marathon, you know, you you have to do this. I mean, it will take two, two or three months to get a first draft done. Um, if, if you're working every day, um, so I'm not hard on myself, you know, know, usually I'll be happy if I hit a thousand words, that'll be great. Um, and if I can polish up the chapter a bit, that's great too. Um, but I think, I think probably I change, um, mode slightly when it goes into editing i'm more likely to work from home and i'm more likely to spend longer hours on it um because it's a different kind of work whereas i feel like when you're when you're generating that first draft you have to think about it in terms of doing a little bit every day um you know uh yeah i think you don't want to overstretch yourself. You know, you don't want to, I, I know a lot of people love that feeling. Oh, I wrote 2000 words. I wrote 3000 words today, but chances are you're not going to write that much the next day. So you have to find a balance that works for you where you can comfortably do it again the next day and the day after and the day after and the day after, um, which sound, I sound so awful. Don't I? I'm sorry. But- <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I, I'm, I'm interested in, the different parts of your brain with that then if uh, and this is the same for every writer um but you know you, you take yourself out to this creative space around people and then when it comes to the edit it's more all right this is serious work i need to lock myself away um how how much do you feel yourself changing in, and the state of your mind changing as you do those two different forms of creation yeah that's a good one a good question um I, I definitely i'm like a child when i'm writing my first draft um very playful i'll try anything i try and make myself laugh or I, you know i'll just i completely will just go out on a limb and do whatever uh, and i think that that's that's how you have to be when you write a first draft you, you kind of really open your brain up um and don't don't like I don't criticize myself. I don't, I don't show it to anyone who will criticize it. Uh, because I think one of the things with writing the first draft is that your brain will try to trick itself into giving up. Um, and you have to kind of work through that. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of write in a very, very open minded, very childish state. Um, but when I come to edit, that's when I, I invite the adult back in the room. And it's also when I start showing it to friends, to my agent and to my editor, because that's when the harsh criticisms come and that's when you have to try and fix those problems. You become, rather than a creator, you become more like a technician. You become someone who has to just fix all the problems. Um, this is your second published book and I'm, 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 you know, I'm sure that you've, you've written before the, you know, ones that will never see the light of day. Everyone's got a few of those, but 
the way you're working seems quite considered and thought out. How is this, the, how is the way that you're writing, the fact you've got these 5,000 words, that's your limit for the week, you take yourself to the coffee, the cafe, then you lock yourself away. How, how long is it taking you to refine this way of working? And that's a really good question. Why have you had the um, thoughts that so, led yeah, you to completely honestly, this? frankly, um, yeah, I, um, I spent a lot of my life like trying to write when I was in my, you know, teens, twenties, thirties. Um, and I, you know, I wrote short stories or I, I wrote, um, I try and write novels and I'd usually stop around the 20,000 word mark. That seemed to be a point where, where I'd give up. Um, but before I came back to the UK to do the, um, creative writing masters at UEA, um, I was working on a novel and weirdly being accepted to the MA gave me this confidence boost. And so I ended up writing, finishing a whole novel. Um, And when I started on the course at UEA, um, I said, I told a couple of the lecturers, I said, look, I've got this manuscript, what should I do with it? And they said, put it aside, do the course and then see what, see what you think. So I, I followed their advice and they were completely right. I came back to that manuscript and I thought, this is not good. I'm not going to do anything with this. Um, but luckily the thing that I had started working on, on the MA that did have legs. And that was my first book, my first novel, the cat in the city. Um, and I suppose I wrote that with a weird kind of, with a process of not really knowing. Cause I think every time you write a novel, you learn something new about your process um, and at that time, I don't think I really knew what I was doing other than just writing stuff for workshops and I was putting them into workshops and, and m- most of the time I was getting really good response to the stuff I was putting in. Um, and then, so then that book came out and, um, it, it did better than I thought it would do. And it gave me confidence again. So I, after I'd finished that one, I thought, well, I've got to write another one. So after it had been published, I, I sat down and I tried to write another book and, you know, I, I, I took on board like the kind of Stephen King-esque advice of, you know, you've got to write 2,000 words, blah, blah, blah. So I just sat down and I wrote this thing and it ended up being about 120,000 words. And I wrote it very quickly and I showed it to friends and they were like, yeah, great. I showed it to my agent. He was like, yeah, great. And we sent it to my editor and my editor was like, not the right thing to follow up uh, the first book. Um, so I had to throw that out. So I threw out that 120,000 words. And actually at that point, what I did was I went back to, I thought, well, what worked about the process of the first book? What worked about it was the fact that I would spend, I thought, well, when I was writing chapters of The Cat in the City, usually I would have a workshop deadline. Usually I'd start writing about a week beforehand. It would take me two or three days to write the short story. um, And then I would polish it. Um, and edit it and then I would send it off. So I was like, well, why don't I just think of this every week on a Sunday, I'm submitting a a chapter to workshop. Right. And so that's, that's how I came up with the process for what became four seasons in Japan. And I feel like it did work. It worked beautifully for me. Um, and it was a process that I kind of stumbled upon by accident with my first book, but didn't even realize it. And so it took me writing something duff and realizing, you know, why was it duff? It was duff because it had too many themes. It wasn't exploring a single theme. So again, this sort of comes back to what we were talking about earlier about making sure that I'm writing the theme and, and sticking to theme. 
Um, so that was one thing I took from it. The other thing was that I had been writing too quickly and that I needed to slow down. Um, so, so yeah, it was through those failures, um, of trying to write a second novel to be published that I learned what was working and, and how to hang on to those things that work and jettison the things that had kind of made the sec- uh, the second draft manuscript go awry, as it were. Being more considered with your writing, you mentioned writing quickly a second ago. Um, is that as simple as before you write every word, you think, is this the right one that I should put here? Um, I don't. Like, I don't really overthink language. For me, voices are just kind of in my head. Um, so if I think this, the character or the narrator is saying this, I don't, I don't think about myself as, as a writer. I think about channeling voices, which probably sounds a bit crazy. <laughs> so for me, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm making the decisions over what word is being used. It's like my characters are or my narrator is. Um, and so even when I write something in third person, I'm thinking, who is this narrator? Like, what, what's their personality? What words would they use? Um, so for me, like word choice and things like that is very, it's, it's intrinsically link, linked to character voice or narratorial voice, if, if that makes sense. Oh, it absolutely does. And we'll come to a bit more about the character in just a second. Uh, just, just one last question on uh, the, the kind of, uh, chapters that you're writing separately f- from each other. I, I guess quite often, if these are mini short stories to a degree, they might have their own beginning, middle, and end while they're in them. Now, that could be useful, but it's not always, I guess, what r- readers want. They don't want, you know, it to be mini episodes of an American drama where it's all nicely tied up at the end, but then we're going to go again next week and something else is going to happen. How much of a worry is that for you? Um, it's not a worry at all. Um, I think readers, readers like chapters. Um, and, and just because, uh, just because like I've, I've stopped the previous chapter and I'm starting a new one. Um, it doesn't mean that I've forgotten what happened in in the previous chapter. Like it's still a continuation of the story. Um, so I think with my first book, that one is like, like, like you say, it's more kind of episodic. Um, so, but with my second book, um, I think that you could call it more of a conventional novel. It's it's easier for people for readers to understand that it's a novel. But my first book, I think, is a novel um, because I think there's a misconception out there that a novel is just sort of one character and one one tone throughout. But novels have always been polyphonic. They've always been things that have a variety of voices, and you know that the best novels I think are ones with wide casts of characters. Um, so. Yeah, for me, that that's not really a worry, actually. In some ways, the strength of a chapter comes through it having a structure. Um, a chapter having a beginning, a middle, and an end gives it strength. Um, it, it's, it's a microcosm of the macrocosm that the novel is. So the, the novel itself has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and the chapter should as well. Um, it should mirror that structure. And I think in terms of... What I love um, in terms of storytelling, um, I mean, even if you just look at something like Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes, let's do that. It's my favorite show. Oh, it's awesome, isn't it? I love it. I think Curb is, is the best example of, of great writing, even though ironically it's, it's improvised. 
the the structure of the storytelling is brilliant because each se- each series has an, an arc for the whole thing, but each episode has like a mini arc, and the seasonal arc always comes in in the episode, but each each one has a mini journey in itself, and and I think that just is a, it's a lovely. Um, it's a lovely structure for for any kind of um, journey. Um, yeah, my favourite author is PG Woodhouse, and I've always found his stories to be very much like Kirby uh, Enthusiasm episodes in the way that it's it's the classic but best example of having all these different arcs that are kind of doing their own thing throughout the three hundred odd pages, and then perfectly tie tie themselves together. And yeah, I, I've always thought that was fantastic. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. We'll be back with Nick in just a second. If you're enjoying the show, I'd love to point you towards our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Uh, while you're there, you can support this show. You can help us carry on bringing you chats with the best authors around as often as we can. It's only me that does this whole thing. So, I, you know, blunt to say it, I could use all the help I can. Just a couple of dollars a month helps me donate as much time as possible to bring you chats with fantastic authors sharing the brilliant stories behind their stories. And for that, you obviously get my thanks. You get merch. There is bonus content. There is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. So let me shout about it if you think your hard work deserves more praise, more plugging than it's got. And I know times are tight, so anything that you can send my way goes a really long way. I'm very, very grateful for everything that we get over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. That's where you go if you'd like to back the show. Let's get back into it then with Nick Bradley chatting about his new novel, Four Seasons in Japan. It's the follow up to the smash hit, the Radio 2 book of the week club pick that thing. 
uh, Cat and the City, Four Seasons in Japan. It's all about Flo, a translator in Tokyo, tracking down the author of a mystery book that she finds. We talk about how this novel came from an idea of different generations being completely at odds with each other, inexplicably for no reason at all. Also, you can hear why living in Japan completely changed who he is as a writer. And we pick things up talking about life experience, how... Things are happening to you all the time without you really knowing and how they can influence whatever you're working on. You know, there was a time in my life, I think, where I thought, oh, my God, I've wasted my life. I, I've done all these things. You know, I wanted to be a writer. And, you know, I'm working as a translator in Tokyo. Um, like, what have I done? And at that time, I couldn't zoom out and see the significance of all the all the things that I'd done that had actually fed into my life and made it rich and made it varied. And, you know, it's the same with mistakes or, you know, messing up in life at that time, when you mess up, you think, Oh, I wish I hadn't done this, but what humans tend to do from, from making mistakes or, you know, from failing is that they learn so much about themselves and also so much about what they can do better next time. So, I try not to look at things now as being like and any and there's no point in regretting anything and I think there was a time when I looked at my life and thought whoa you really took a different path to what you 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 know to what you set out to do which was to become a writer um and it wasn't until I realized you know it it's, it seems silly saying it now but how much um, doing what I did in life had en- enriched and changed the way that I approach writing. And, um, and you're completely right. You know, even just the act of learning Japanese um, changed the way that I wrote in that when I was learning Japanese, I, I felt like a child again. I felt, so I went there um, after being, you know, a university student, I'd done a master's degree. I was very much like in academic mode and I, I look back at my writing then and it was, it was convoluted. It was, it was trying to be too clever. And I think it was from being, you know, a, a learner of, of Japanese and feeling restrained again and constricted by my vocabulary and not being able to express, uh, express myself at that, in those early stages of learning that made me understand that you can, you can deal with very difficult and big concepts, but w- with very, very simple language. And I think, you know, on a practical level, learning Japanese sort of taught me that. But it wasn't just that. I, um, with my first book and, and my second book, I I hear my Japanese, my characters, they're speaking Japanese to me. And I, I kind of translate them into, a, into a, a version of English. And I think that the different politeness in Japanese grammar, so there's this thing called keigo where you have to speak you have to speak in a different register depending on who you are and who you're talking to. And I think that thinking about that and thinking about the way that my characters spoke in Japanese got me thinking, and this sort of ties into my experience as a translator. It was like, how can I replicate the way that they speak in Japanese in English? Like, how do I find a way of capturing that essence and, and putting it into the characters speech patterns into their dialogue? Um, so yeah, I, I I couldn't begin to describe all of all, what what living in Japan, what um, uh, learning about Japanese culture and language, and and all of all of the things I did in my life have led me to where I am, and and I don't regret them. 
And even though that you, you, you live there and you worked and you immersed yourself in, in, in the Japanese culture for such a long time, it, there might still, uh, it, it, you know, it would be reasonable, I guess, for you, you to still have worries about misrepresenting it, I guess. Um, how much of that played a part just because, you know, you're a Western dude writing about this completely different life? How, how much were you fearful about getting some aspects of it wrong still? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, ultimately, I think it's up to a reader to decide how, how, how an author's dealt with subject matter. So, um, I think it's in a way like I could, I can sort of speak to, to my, I can speak to my love of Japan and I can speak to how I want to do it justice and I want to represent it in the only way I can, which is through my, my subjective experience. Um, but I, I think ultimately it's up to readers to kind of judge for themselves whether I've done uh, the culture justice. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I personally think it's, it's, inter- it's an interesting question. Oh, I'm not, um, I'm, but, but by all means, I'm not trying to lead you up a blind alley here, by the way. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just interested. No, no, I, I'm, I, I didn't think you were. Don't worry. Um, no, it's, it's something, it's something I'm conscious of, but I, yeah, I, I think, um, I think one of, one of my experiences, at, at UEA was that I, I started out not wanting to write about Japan, like very strongly. Um, and I think in my first workshop, I put in something that was like a, a sci-fi cult story and, um, and basically I got kind of like the response was really lukewarm. It was just sort of like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and then afterwards I was, I was talking to my tutor and he was just asking me about my life and I was t- telling him about what I'd been doing in Japan and everything. And he, he was just like, why, why are you not writing about this? And I was like, yeah, I suppose. So I gave it a go and I put it in the story, but the reaction to that story was, it just made me realize that this was what I should be writing about at that, at that point in my, in my life. Um, but I, I think it's an interesting question though, because I mean, Japanese culture itself is, is, is one that is very keen on borrowing. So the Japanese writing system is based ultimately on Chinese. So uh, originally Japanese was just a, a spoken language. They didn't have a writing system. So they took, um, the written Chinese as their kind of written language in, in kind of a similar way that in Europe people would write in Latin. Um, and then what happened was, is that, uh, they started to adapt the Chinese characters onto the spoken language. Um, so ja- Japan has got a long history of taking things from, from other countries and just like adapting them and perfecting them to their own use. And I kind of admire that. And I think at times, one of the dangers of kind of of losing interest in other cultures and not embracing other cultures and not sort of learning from other cultures is that we become insular. And I, I kind of admire it about the Japanese that they are so outward looking and they are so keen to to see what the rest of the world is doing and to to see what they can learn from the rest of the world. And I I don't know about you, but like for me, I would much rather read a novel set in London that was written by a Japanese person than I would read another book set in London written by another Londoner. Does that, does that make sense? Like I think, 
at times seeing things from a different angle can be useful to everyone. I think it might have been while I was working on that other project, um, I might have had this idea about a grandson and a grandmother. So, um, but I know that I started to really think about the idea when, when actually when, I, when that thing that I wrote, I had to throw it in the bin. I remember that was when the ideas for this one really started to come thick and fast. Um, and I think it was just like this idea of an old, an old, older lady um, in this town called Onomichi, which is in Hiroshima Prefecture. Um, and it's the town that I, I lived, so one, one train station down from it, but um, it's the town that I learned Japanese in. And I think I just started to think about her. So these two characters came to me, um, and I kind of fleshed them out by thinking about opposites. Um, so I think I'd, I'd read um, Turgenev's uh, novel, uh, Fathers and Sons, and it got me thinking about, you know, it's a wonderful novel and it, it got me thinking about how nothing has changed since he wrote that book, um, which is essentially like the, I'd say the central thesis of it is that the old and the young don't, they, they, they never understand each other. The old always forget that they were young once and um, they think that the, the young, uh, you know, uh, they patronize the young. And then the young also, they think that the, the, the wisdom of older people is, is foolish or, or, you know, it's old fashioned. And they, they also don't ever see the fact that they will be one day old. And I, I kind of got enamored with that idea of, of conversations between generations of the old and the young um, constantly misunderstanding each other. So then I, I started thinking about how I wanted to write a novel where the two characters were essentially opposites. So one was a young man from the city and the other one was a, a, an old woman from the countryside. And that's how Ayako and Kyo were born. Um, yeah. But then you've got uh, Flo. So this is the, the, a translator who, who who finds the the story and, and that's kind of what drives the, the aspect of the plot. At what point, I, I guess when you had that initial idea about generational gaps and talking to each other, mm. what did you think next that made a plot come out of it? Well, um, yeah, good question. So so the novel within the novel, which is called Sound of Water, that I wrote in its entirety from start to finish. And I wanted to write it alternating perspectives from Kyo's perspective and from Ayako's. So that novel I wrote, in itself and I put it away for a bit and then I came back to look at it and I read through it and I just thought god who wrote this it really doesn't it really doesn't seem like you wrote this Nick it, it, it reads like it was translated from Japanese it just seems strange like readers are going to find this weird um, <clears throat> so then I had a character from the Cat in the City called Flo um, and so we'd left her story in the Cat in the City but I started to think oh you know, what's Flo up to these days? Like may maybe Flo translated this. And it was from that idea that then I started to work backwards and then think, well, if Flo translated this, who wrote it? And and then yeah, yeah. So that that was kind of how it all came about. Yeah. And it it doesn't sound like you're much of a a planner because you're kind of working this through this first draft as you go. How much did you know about everything, how this would end up when you first sat down to write the story? Um, I think I, for the central, this, the, the novel within a novel, I kind of, that came to me fully formed. It was 
it was about like I, I knew that I wanted to deal with um, these two people who 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 dealt with failures of different kind, um, and <clears throat> so I suppose like I always kind of knew how what kind of feeling I wanted people to have at the end of the book, um, and I suppose I, I although I'm not a planner, I kind of have a rough idea of where I want to get to. So I I always sort of liken my writing journey to being like going on a country walk where you start somewhere, you know, you, you go to the car park or whatever in the di- in the distance, you see a church spire and you think, I, I want, I want to go there. So roughly you head in that direction, but that's not to say that on the way there, you might see paths that diverge that look interesting. And, um, with the creative process, I think sometimes people, <clears throat> people often look at what they've written and say, well, I set out to write this thing and I haven't done that. Therefore, this is a failure. But I actually think that often that thing that you achieve, even though you haven't, you haven't achieved the thing that you set out to achieve, you might actually have done something better. Um, and I think it's important to remember that, not to view it like, you know, um, the, only, the only ending for this is that we end up at that church spire. It's like no, the, the, the church spire might might not be the interesting thing. It might be the visitor center car park or whatever that's actually interesting. Um, and I think it's just important to know once you finish to look at, to be able to look at your manuscript and say, I kind of know what this is now. That is it for this week's episode with Nick Bradley. Thank you so much to Nick for coming on the show. The new novel is Four Seasons in Japan, and it's out right now. There is no episode next week just having a little break i will be back the week after with loads more fantastic authors make sure you follow the podcast wherever you get your shows that way it'll automatically drop to your feed you don't need to worry about that you can follow us as well on twitter if you're still there at writers pod uh, drop us uh, an email if you fancy use the contact form at writersroutine.com. you can always support the show patreon.com forward slash writers routine and make the most of that brilliant 10 percent offer for plotter really the last chance you can get to go.plotter.com it's without the e p-l-o-t-t-r go.plotter.com slash routine and thank you for listening i will see you in a few weeks planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.